garage and hope no gardens. Do all the things you wanted to do all summer, all day, all night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 1-800-441-4410 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Hello and welcome to FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is another installment of Mountain Comics, the show where I look back at the comic books I bought while on vacation in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 80s. Joining me in the cabin this week is one of the hosts of Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Sean Ross. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the cabin. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. This is super – I'm super excited to talk about this book because this uh, – the, the book in question uh, is Iron Man number 200. And this was one of those comics – like I never bought Iron Man much when I was a kid. Like Iron Man was a character I liked in the Avengers, but as a solo star, he just never did a whole lot for me. So uh, I went back – I was sure that when I, I was doing the sort of research for this book that the reason I bought it was because it was number 200. You know, I was like, well, I was probably like, I needed more comics to read, and this is the 200th anniversary issue, it'll probably be fun. But then I consulted Mike's Amazing World, and I saw that I was actually buying Iron Man for a couple of months before this, and a couple of months after. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no memory of that at all, but, <laughs> but I must have, there must have been something about Iron Man that, that appealed to me at the time. So, are you a particular fan of the character and as a solo star? So, I have a, I have a weird relationship with Iron Man. I started collecting th- this run. I started collecting in the Danny O'Neill run. In fact, my first issue is the issue after Jim Rhodes becomes Iron Man. So, oh, okay. wow. yeah. So for me, Rhodey is Iron Man, and, and that was the, the the Iron Man I sort of knew and, and grew up with for a couple of years. And I had a um, a spinner rack affair with this comic, where you know I would <laughs> pop into a local convenience store and I would get one issue and I'd pop in again and I'd get a couple issues later. And and I, I had a really sporadic run. But it was sort of fortunately the big beats of the arc. So, you know, I got to kind of watch Rhodey, you know, grow and grow into the role. And I saw, you know, what was going on with Tony at the time. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this arc. And I'm a big fan of other arcs. But I have to say, I, I don't inherently love this character. Like if you asked me, you know, uh, you know, if you did a, a cheesy Twitter poll about my top five favorite characters, it, Tony Stark is not making that list. And so, so I, I have a, a ton of Iron Man comics. I've collected it relatively consistently for thirty years. But, but yeah, interestingly, he's not somebody I inherently love. Yeah, I thought it was it was funny to me that when the movie came out, of course, which was the kickoff of the MCU, about how that movie single-handedly turned Iron Man into an A-list character. And mm-hmm. for those of us that grew up on the comics. Iron Man was never A-list. You know, he wasn't B-list, but, I mean, he was not Captain America. He was not Spider-Man. He was not the Hulk. He was not a famous character outside of the world of comics. And yet now he's a globally recognized icon. I mean, well done, Kevin Feige. Yeah, no kidding. I My litmus test is always, does my sister know who this character is? Because <laughs> my, my, my older sisters, you know, they tolerated my comic being collecting when I was a kid, but they had, you know, there was no interest in it. And, and I actually, I think even a couple times I got the, you know, if you ever want a girlfriend, you might have to hide who you really are. Oh, talk. no, no. <laughs> of course, these are the same, same older sisters who took me to see Friday the 13th when I was five. That's right. So, um, so yeah, she the fact that she not only knows who Tony Stark is, but not long ago we had a conversation where she was lamenting that Marvel might phase Robert Downey Jr. out, and she just couldn't imagine anyone else being Iron Man. And I was like, oh my god, I'm having this conversation. This is a beautiful world. 
Isn't that isn't that amazing when you talk to people that you know are kind of muggles on it, and then they <laughs> they have a they have an insight to something. I mean, I I remember it's related to that a couple of years ago when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And I was, we were driving home, me and Darlene Tracy were driving home from having seen it. And she was talking about how much she loved Groot. And I remember thinking, I cannot believe I'm having a conversation with someone <laughs> about Groot, who's like a Z-level oh Marvel character. <laughs> about a sentient tree that appeared yeah. in like a couple issues of Marvel 2 and 1. Yeah, I, and actually I get judgment now. Like my sister will be like, oh, hey, I'm sure you – do you have the first appearance of Groot? And I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't – actually I don't have any comics featuring him until like the late 90s. And she's like, oh. Like I get this like, like judgment <laughs> of this like, oh, well, you're just not a very good collector then. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> like back off no one saw Groot coming like it's like the spanish inquisition no. no one saw it coming yeah it's, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable and my thing with iron man is it's probably i mean as everyone knows from the various podcasts i've done over the years i'm not a big on big person on the robots you know whether they be transformers <laughs> i just i don't know other than c3po and r2d2 i've never been big on the robots and maybe because it's, it's iron man just seems it's a very techie book it immediately, I've always felt it was. I mean, it isn't really. I mean, God, they did Demon with a Bottle and all that human drama uh, stuff. And uh, I've been enjoying uh, Make Ours Marvel. The guys have been talking about the early Iron Man stories. But I just, I don't know. I always kind of looked at Iron Man and I was like, eh, yeah, right, whatever. But for whatever reason, I guess I enjoyed it for a couple of months. And this issue is actually um, particularly good. So let's let's talk about it. It's called, uh, the story is Resolutions uh, by Denny O'Neill, Mark Bright, and the inking team of Aiken and Garvey. Uh, Tony, it opens with Tony. It was on sale August thirteenth, nineteen eighty-five. I should mention that. So I was fourteen when it came out. Uh, Tony Stark is at the hospital, being told the grim news that one of his friends was killed in an explosion that destroyed his home. His sorrow is interrupted by his pal Jim Rhodes, who was also wounded in the blast. Another friend of theirs blames Tony for the death of her brother because she believes the blast was the work of Tony's longtime nemesis Obadiah Stane. In tears, she berates Tony for not donning his Iron Man gear and dealing with Stane once and for all. Rhodey tries to interrupt, but Tony agrees, saying he's been afraid of his Iron Man identity in the last few months, lest he return to his old drinking ways. Tony then takes off and heads for the HQ of the West Coast Avengers. He ignores his old teammate Hawkeye and heads into the lab, donning the new suit he's been working on, a much more massive, robotic-looking red-and-white outfit. Meanwhile, Obadiah Stane is discussing with an old flame of Tony's what his plan is, to drive Tony back into the Iron Man suit and then back to drinking and eventually into the gutter. The second part of his plan is called Project Ironmonger, which involves the creation of a massive iron suit bigger and supposedly more powerful than any tech Tony Stark has ever come up with. Tony decides to take the direct approach and smash his way into the main Stain International building, demanding to see his old foe. This enrages Stain, who assumed Tony would just crumble. Stain dons his Ironmonger suit, and the two engage in a huge battle in the skies above. Tony figures out that while the Ironmonger suit probably contains more raw power, Stane is notably less experienced at controlling it and making adjustments in the middle of battle. During a pause in the fight, Tony finds a chamber containing some of his friends in stasis tubes. Stane appears on a view screen and says that if Tony makes a move, he will electrify the tubes and kill the hostages. Tony finds a way to cut the power, and he and Stane meet again in the sky. Stane is reduced to grabbing a baby and threatening to kill it if Iron Man makes another move. Tony sends a repulsor array blast back down to the Stane building, which cuts the power to the Ironmonger suit, causing Stane to plummet. Iron Man rescues the baby, but also slows Stane's fall so he isn't killed when he hits the ground. Stane removes his helmet and states that he is going to deny Stark the pleasure of seeing his old foe truly beaten. He raises his hand, points his repulsor array at his own head, and fires. 
Tony walks away, and a bystander asks what happened. Iron Man replies, somebody lost. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do we think of this one? Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I um... – <laughs> it's hard to it's it's hard to come back from you know the, like the, the fact that the ironmonger suit has you know jet propulsion repulsor rays and insta baby as like some of its characteristics <laughs> just got that baby out of somewhere oh it just from. yeah there was like a compartment in the back and that baby just rolled out like i have no it's like a pez dispenser it, really it was so even in rereading the issue i had completely forgotten about this and it's such a non sequitur because they're having this really intense fight and O'Neill is using the fight as a way to introduce the new compa- you know, components of, of the Silver Centurion armor, which is my favorite armor. And then all of a sudden, Steen is just holding a baby. So, yeah, that, that, was, um, that is interesting. I, I love this issue. Uh, I, like I said, I had been collecting Iron Man for, gosh, a couple years at this point. But, again, you know, spinner rack spora- uh, you know, sporadically. And, and this issue really does bring together – Everything that O'Neill was building in his arc. I mean, it is, you know, it's it's Tony kind of in in the twelfth step. I mean, it's it's you know, really him saying, Okay, I've I've admitted I have a problem, I've atoned for what I've done, and I've started rebuilding myself, but now it's time to really fully embrace, you know, this new me and, and have the courage to do it. So I have such a fondness for this issue, uh, because of the way it wraps up a lot of those plot lines from O'Neill. So I really love it. I, I, in fact, when you, when you sent out your, you know, the call for mountain comics, I jumped on this issue because you even, yeah, 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 even today it's a, it's a, a pretty seminal issue in my mind. Yeah. I, I, uh, Obadiah Stane, it's funny. I mean, everybody can now, everybody knows who Obadiah Stane is thanks to him being in the movie. I mean, Jeff Bridges played him really well as, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. but, um, I, it's it's weird, like Obadiah Stane. I mean, he you know he's very Lex Luthory. I mean, he looks like Lex Luthor, and he has kind of all the same mo. My my one issue, I guess, with with his plot, his plan is like, okay, I'm going to drive Tony back into the Iron Man suit, and it's going to drive him to drink, and he's going to just go back into the gutter, and like he'll just be ruined. I don't want to kill Iron Man. I want to like re- re- I want to reduce him to nothing. I want to grind him into the dirt. I want to humiliate him. And the minute Tony puts the suit back on, Obadiah Stane is like, what? My plan didn't work? Like, he, gives it, he gives it like two seconds to try and work. He doesn't like, you know, maybe Tony might fail or something. Like he just immediately just says, well, fine, I'll just put on my suit and just kill him. Like he just junks this whole long range plan that he's got, uh, which seemed a little abrupt, but it, you know, okay. It's, it's Obadiah Stane is, you know, he's like a power mad guy. So I guess it's okay. But it's just rereading it. That just seems like, boy, he really didn't give his, his plan much of a chance to work. So, so in O'Neill, you're right. In the issue itself, he jumps right to that Ironmonger contingency. In the in the arc, though, it's weird because O'Neill really took his time to build up Obadiah Stane. I mean, he has him. I think he, I think he first appears in like issue 163. So he's been around for three and a half years, kind of challenging Tony on the business side, also challenging him in a more you know sort of traditional supervillain role by sending henchmen at him. Tony actually lapses back into alcoholism because of stain stain pays a, a stewardess on a flight to spill a drink on tony and then he does yeah, it's, it's an ingenious plan and then to keep bringing him drinks and then stain play, pays a woman who to sit next to tony on that same flight and sort of ply him and, and play to his ego and so he actually he crafts a lot of the fall of tony stark and so 
the the entire that that whole moment of I want to watch you suffer. Like I know how to play you. I know how to defeat you. He's he's actually really earned that moment because he really did take Stark down, and he kept him down for a while. So that part rang really true. That that felt like you know this issue is called resolutions. That felt like a good resolution. But yeah, the very quick turn from master manipulator, the kind of guy who would you know have enough forethought to pay a, a flight attendant to spill a drink on Tony Stark, to then suddenly go you know you know purple outfit Lex Luthor crazy yeah, right, is right. just weird. Yeah, it was a, it's a it's very abrupt and it very much screams of O'Neill knew he was out of here pretty quickly because he's only I think he's six months away from writing the question for DC. So okay. he, so the writing was on the wall. He knew he was he was jumping ship. So I think he wrapped this up somewhat quickly, though, though I think satisfyingly. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I do enjoy I did enjoy the comic. I mean, it's I thought it was funny when Tony Stark shows up at West Coast Avengers Mansion and Hawkeye's like, see you in a while. How, how about we shoot shoot a, 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 <laughs> pool, a, a game of pool and chew the fat? And, and, and Iron Man's like, get out of my way, Hawkeye. Like he's just a total dick to Hawkeye, which is very funny. Which probably me. felt like old home week. I mean, I got to think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, Hawkeye's like, oh, Tony's back. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great issue. I I love MD Bright is one of my favorite. 80s artists, uh, you know, I, I associate him really strongly with Power Man and Iron Fist and Green Lantern. And so whenever I see his art, it's like this, it's like a nice pair of slippers. Like it's just this really comforting <laughs> thing that reminds me of 80s comics that I love. So the fact that he drew it is also a, a major draw. But I just, can we, can we talk about the ending? Because I oh, was, sure, yeah. yeah, I was, um, I was 10 when I read this and it is the first suicide I've ever seen depicted. And I and I had forgotten about that until I was rereading it honestly for the podcast, and I knew I knew Stain did it. I knew Stain, you know, blew, literally blew his head off, and and that's actually a great bit of writing by O'Neill because when we learn the origin of Obadiah Stain, like three years earlier, he actually walks in on his father, who's kind of a grifter, and his dad is playing Russian roulette for money and ends up blowing his head off. And that's actually what causes Stain's hair to turn white and fall out. It, again, very Lex Luthor. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know there, there, that bit at all. <laughs> yeah. So there's a really dark little book ending to this scene. Like this scene is extra poignant because he effectively takes the route his father took. Right. That he's been cursing his father for, for being weak for the entire run that we've known him. But it makes real sense. But – Oh my God, they do not shy away from it. Like they fully depict the repulsor rays, you know, enveloping his his head. And I I had forgotten, I mean, it's not graphic, but it is definitely, you know, this is a code-approved comic. And I'm like, you know, God forbid we say the word werewolf, but let's show this guy just blow his brains out right on the page. So so I, I was really I was impacted by this as a kid and, and I'd forgotten how powerful it was as an adult. Yeah, they don't pan away in that last page, and the, the panel where he's literally repulsoring his own head. I mean, if you look closely at the way it's colored, there is no head where the head should be when he's hitting himself with the repulsor because you see the background color behind. So I, I'm always taking that as Obadiah literally repulsorate his own head entirely off his body. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he did. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, so I don't know. What was your reaction? Do you remember being moved by that when you were a kid or? No, I don't. Because I just think I didn't have a whole lot of 
sort of, uh, I didn't have a lot of investment in Obadiah's thing because, like I said, I was only familiar with Iron Man as an Avenger, mm-hmm. and so this was kind of new to me for the most. I mean, I had bought Iron Man here and there, but uh, but I remember thinking it was very dramatic, and the book ends very abruptly. Like, there's oh, yeah. no, it's just somebody lost, and like, wow, that's a real bang of an ending. I mean, Denny O'Neill was like not leaving anything on the table, kind of like to just end it so abruptly and so brutally. Um, the thing with the baby, again, that is very funny. I mean, I love how just, you know, nasty Obadiah Stane is. Um, I What do you think of the um, – oh, you mentioned the artwork. I wanted to mention the artwork because, yeah, I like Mark Bright too. I think it's very it's very solid, very good superhero work. Mm-hmm. I think Aiken and Garvey are kind of a weird combo for, for, for him and especially on Iron Man because Aiken and Garvey had a very kind of um, – for lack of a better term, kind of soft inking style. Everything mm-hmm. was kind of mushy and kind of not not a lot of hard edges. And to me, Iron Man is all hard edges. You know, I mean, I, like, to me, like a Mike DiCarlo would be a great inker. I mean, he's a DC guy. Well, Bob Layton. Or Bob, right, Bob Layton. Bob Layton had a perfect style for Iron Man. He mm-hmm. made things look robotic. Aiken and Garvey seem just like a weird combo. But nevertheless, it's otherwise, it's a pretty handsome-looking book. Well, there's a there's actually a through line for that. So Luke McDonald had been the primary artist on the book from the very beginning of Denny O'Neill's run. And most people know Luke McDonald is the artist from John Ostrander's Suicide Squad run. So he has a really sort of in-the-ground kind of gritty style, which was a weird pairing with Iron Man. But when Jim Rhodes was Iron Man, it worked because Rhodey was really kind of scrapping his way, you know, figuring out his new role. And, and Aiken and Garvey came on to ink McDonald at one point. McDonald leaves really abruptly, and they have a string of fill-in artists, I, I mean, ranging from, like, Herb Trimpey to Mark Bright. So, so Aiken and Garvey are the through line. They, they keep the art really consistent so that as you're reading the end of this run, if you, as you read, like, 196 to 200, which have, I think, four different artists, it doesn't feel as abrupt. So I, so I actually am really excited that they're on it because it, it keeps the art. It has a, a general sameness to it. But yeah, as a pair, I wouldn't have picked them for, for Iron Man. That's an interesting idea, though, and that makes a lot of sense to have the same anchor across pencilers. Because, yeah, you're right. It does, give, it does give it that feel. You know, It's not so dramatically a change between here and there. And like I said, I don't mean to overstate it. I mean, actually, the artwork's pretty nice. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is just these two guys in robot suits hitting each <laughs> other. Um, are you, uh, like, as a, as a person that's read Iron Man comics, like, what is your opinion of the, you called it the Silver Centurion suit? Is that the official name of it? I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, it's so nerdy that I know. I literally forgot my anniversary this year, but I will never forget <laughs> that this is the Silver Centurion armor that it first appeared in Iron Man 200. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I was really offended as a kid because like I said, I'd been reading Iron Man. You knew they were building up to this new armor and it was really exciting. And they, you know, at Marvel age, they had announced it, which was, you know, you know, comic book resources before there was the internet and they're building to it and building to it and building to it. And then West coast adventures. Number one comes out a full month before this issue. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and he's he, in the armor and that he's in that's the armor. Right. And then secret wars Two issue five comes out the same day, but they've been running house ads for it. And, and the silver centurion armor is on the center of that cover as they're sort of blasting the beyonder. And so, so I was really looking forward to this, looking forward to this. And this is a, a pretty seismic shift because we go from the Golden Avenger to this, this entirely new style. So I was really mad as a kid that they spoiled it. But it is my favorite armor. I love, I love the silver and red. I think it's a great look. I love how bulky it is. In retrospect, 
it's a little 80s. I mean, it has shoulder pads. I think, I think you know, I think it comes <laughs> very with a working Del- girl. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it comes with a DeLorean, you know, it's, and a Nagel painting maybe, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's very 80s. It's got the big shoulder pads. And actually, if you look too closely, it looks like he's wearing an adult diaper. I mean, the, 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 the cod piece is very like, oops, I pooped my pants. But it is such a nice-looking armor. It's totally my favorite. And actually, this is how nerdy I am. You know, they recently relaunched Iron Man, and Dan Slott is writing it. And, and they did a bunch of variant covers, and one of the variant covers was the Silver Centurion armor. And that's the one I chose to buy because it was my favorite armor. So I love it. It's, it's, I like it. The only one I like that's even close to it is when they gave him a nose back in the 60s because that's just so funny. <laughs> How long did this suit last? I don't, I don't, I don't recollect that. Like they was in it for that long, right before they brought him back to the gold and the yellow, yeah, gold and the red. So he's in it. So it happens at two hundred. O'Neill leaves around two o four, two o five. It's not long after this that he leaves, and David Michelini comes on to write it. And Michelini, who's you know an all time great comic book writer, yes, he he returns Iron Man. I, I think somewhat unfortunately, he returns Tony back to the sort of elitist. Um, I mean, kind of elitist D-bag. There's no other way to put it. I mean, at one point, Tony Stark gets a perm. And, like, Tony Stark with a perm is my Vietnam. Like, I could not, I cannot tolerate permed Tony Stark. And so he becomes back, he gets back into his sort of, I'm, you know, the 1%, and he's really rich. But the, the, the big arc that everybody remembers is the armor wars. So at one point, you know, Tony realizes that, that, supervillains and superheroes alike are using stolen Stark tech to, you know, to be armor powered heroes or villains. And he goes on this rampage where he attacks and, you know, it would make sense. He's attacking like the beetle or, you know, the, um, the, some of the, like titanium man and, you know, the, the Russian guy in the red armor, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. And, um, you know, he attacks them and he takes their armor, the pieces that are stolen. That makes sense. He also attacks like Stingray and the guardsmen at the vault. And that puts him in conflict with Captain America. So the armor wars builds up, builds up, builds up until it appears that Iron Man is killed. And and in the next issue after he's, you know, quote unquote destroyed, Tony has built a new armor and appears and tries to make the claim that he's not Tony Stark, that he's that Iron Man is in fact someone else, which you know literally no one buys. But that armor is, <laughs> is red and gold, and it's the blockier. It's sort of the early to mid '90s. It's the really blocky silver and gold armor. And then after that, I mean, they literally just go on a rampage where it's like, well, if changing armor worked once and was cool, let's do it, you know, every other day and, until, I mean, finally at one point. I think he's literally in armor that's just all white. Like they, they didn't want, they didn't even bother drawing details into it. They're like it's stealth or something. So yeah, so the, the armor changes began after a long a while, but he's in this for about three years. Oh wow, okay. Oh, gee, I didn't know it lasted that long. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking it was kind of a big deal. Nowadays, because you've met, they change costumes left and right, and you know, it's, there's. It's, it's, there's action figures of it instantly. There's all these storylines. But at the time, it was still like, wow, he looks different. You know, it was kind of like a thing. It was a big deal. Well, this was back, you know, back when Iron Man was really defined by how cool the armor was. Yes. And, it, and it's yes. kind of like Green Lantern. Remember, Green Lantern was defined by how cool the ring was. And then eventually writers would come along and realize, well, actually, it's not the ring or the armor that's interesting. It's the character and, and what we can do to them. So it's OK if there are multiple Iron Man or multiple Green Lanterns. And so this was still that era. So I, I had the same reaction, actually, the changing from the Golden Avenger to the Silver Centurion. 
it was just I thought it was pretty seismic at the time. You know, it doesn't end up being that way in retrospect, but I do think this is a beloved armor. I think for older fans, people look back on this era pretty fondly. Wait, is there an action figure of this? There must be, right? Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to miss a trick when you're, you have a chance to sell something to comic book fans. Yeah, there is. There is. There's actually even an Ironmonger one, though. It, it doesn't come with the baby. <laughs> it does. Now that you know what we're talking about, it does remind me of that moment at the end of the Batman movie, the first one, where Jack Nickel Joker puts the glasses on. You wouldn't hit a guy yeah. with glasses, would you? It's the same kind of accidental really, comedy tactic. beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, there are a couple things I do want to mention, little small details that I I don't know if I noticed these things at the time, but I, you know, when I read it again, I noticed them now. I like that the, um, this story is broken into chapters, which is very old school. That's mm-hmm. very Gardner Fox. You know, there's like chapter one, chapter two, you know, chapter one. The book is called Resolutions, and then you go chapter two, beginning a new era. I mean, that's that was something that comic books stopped doing a long time ago, was breaking things into chapters. So I enjoyed that. Um, I liked, uh, I liked the, the way the armor is done with all the, the, the small panels. He puts the glove and the leg, and it's all very. I like that he does the parabolic arc. So oh yeah, save time and flying across the earth. I always like when they stick a little bit of science into these things. I think that's enjoyable. Um, that weird scientist guy, the Doctor Atlanta, which is a strange <laughs> name, that Obadiah Stane is hiring. When they find him, he's just randomly about to stick a scalpel into someone's forehead. Like, that's just a ghoulish little touch. Like, and if you see the, the woman that he's got, like, he hasn't shaved her head or anything. He's just going to just jam the scalpel into her forehead with nobody around, nobody to help him. Like, I don't think you're going to get the results you're looking to get if you just stab someone in the head with your scalpel, dude. Well, that's Pepper Potts, too. You know, that's, it, that's Pepper Potts? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so Obadiah Stane has captured all of Tony's supporting – old supporting cat. I mean, literally – O'Neill is putting all the toys back in the box. So for three years, we have not seen Pepper Potts, Happy Hogan, Mrs. Arbogast, any of the Bethany Cabe, any of these characters. And randomly, Stain kidnaps them all to hold them hostage in case Tony comes back, which is a little bit wonky. But yeah, that's Pepper Potts. And you're right. There's no anesthesia. You know, there's yeah. no there's no staff there to help. And I mean, it doesn't even look like they've laid a tarp down. He's just like, hey, how many you know, how many bites does it take to get to the center of Pepper Potts's head? Like there's no there's no rhyme or reason to what he's about to do. It's really bizarre. Wow. I didn't know that. That's amazing. OK. Uh, and I liked uh, the other scene where Stain uh, gets in his suit and marches off and we see his like his henchmen, three of his henchmen uh-huh. standing there and he says, Mr. Sane in that armor? I knew we never knew he wanted to wear it. He has been in on the test. And as he takes off, we see the three of them at a view screen and it says on the view screen, Stane has always wanted to win at any cost. And I don't know if I well, we'll see if you if this is how you take it. I don't I had a tough time understanding exactly what's happening in that panel. And then I reasoned out that these three guys are trying to talk about Stain privately, but they know that they're probably being recorded, so they just type it out. It kind of like the way you, if you know you're being bugged, you you it's like all the president's men. You know, you type uh-huh. things out on a piece of paper. Is that is that how you took that moment? No, no. So I I read it differently. There's a an implication as you read the issue. You know, he doesn't know how to use the armor, and right. so there's they're they're helping him sort of radio control. Like he's he's getting support from the ground staff. And and what's implied is that his he's cybernetically linked with the armor, so his thoughts are coming through, like his oh, yeah. So oh, it's it's an okay. interesting. It's not it's not laid out as clearly as it could be, but it it's it's pretty interesting and it's again very in line 
with who O'Neill really took his time to develop Obadiah Stane as a as a villain, and it's very in line with with who Obadiah Stane is. I mean, the fact that the the three villains that are attacking Tony Stark are the chessmen. And, and I didn't it, even mention them in this in the synopsis that uh, Stain just has these guys on the like the baby. He just has them ready to go. <laughs> well, so that again ties into his very first appearance in Iron Man one sixty three. He attacks. He has his. He had these chessmen are actually his like henchmen, and he has, has them attack Iron Man as a as like an initial probing, an initial testing of who Iron Man might be, and and to kind of gain his. Well, for, sorry, lack of a better term, to gain his metal and. He has them attack, and so the chessmen have been have been you know characters we've seen before, and the fact that the silver centurion armor just blows through them is another little. I mean, he's kind of warfing them, right? He's like he's like, hey, four you know forty issues ago, these guys almost killed Iron Man. Now you know he can just blow right through them. So, so I mean, this issue really is it is very layered. It is absolutely a culminating moment in O'Neill's arc. You know, I mean, it ties the. It's the final moment in, in Tony Stark's sobriety. I mean, you know, you can't really have a final moment in sobriety, but as far as comics go, it right. completely returns his supporting cast to him. The part I've never understood is magically he gets Stark Enterprises back. Like, like if I went to Apple headquarters with a bat and started busting <laughs> out all the windows and everybody ran out of the building, it doesn't mean I'm in charge of Apple. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand the logic, but magically he gets his company back and you know, and he gets his money back and he gets a perm. So this is really an issue where <laughs> you're not, you got, he had to get that in. I had to get the perm. perm. I don't even know how he fits that perm in the armor, man. I don't know. Like the headpiece <laughs> doesn't fit after that, but, but anyway, it, it is an issue. It, it, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to argue, and it's not an argument, the Denny O'Neill run. I know most people think of Denny O'Neill as the bat editor, but Denny O'Neill, his Iron Man run, this is actually my favorite Iron Man run of all time. And it's, it's actually for this exact reason, O'Neill comes in, he starts the Obadiah Stain arc within like two issues of beginning his run, and he, at a time when this was totally unusual because people were buying issues off spinner racks and it was hard to right, get consecutive right. issues, he runs a 37-issue arc, and it's amazing. I mean it establishes Jim Rhodes as Iron Man. It puts Tony back into an alcoholic tailspin, has him hit rock bottom, has him pull his way out. I mean it's just – it's so well done, especially given the time, and it deals with some heavy – some really heavy themes, which I mean, you know, is, is underscored by the very last page of the issue. But it's it's just brilliant. I mean, O'Neill doesn't get enough credit as a writer, you know. And like I said, he's only about seven months away from from bolting to DC and doing his you know classic question run with Dennis Cohen. Wow, that's cool. I, I didn't know any of this. That's really cool. I, I you have to figure that when they were working on the movie, John Favreau and his screenwriters must have been reading these these stories in particular. Uh, as as inspiration, because I mean, obviously the the whole ending of the Iron Man movie with him and versus Stain is is this. It's, it's pretty much all this. Yeah, it's the same armor. I mean, yeah, they really they definitely borrowed from this era. And and I I wish people kind of when they thought of Iron Man runs, you know, thought more favorably of the O'Neill run because it's I think it's fantastic and it, it definitely influenced the movie and um, it actually you know influences the book even much later because when Matt Fraction comes on. In 2008, once the movie is hit and it's a huge success, Marvel makes a big push to, to you know relaunch Iron Man under Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca. And the first villain is Ezekiel Stane. It's the son of Obadiah Stane. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it works. It's actually – he's a pretty cool villain. He's, he's, it's pretty interesting. 
Very cool. All right. I didn't know any of this stuff. This is fantastic, John. This is why I wanted. This is when you were excited to do this one. I was like, okay, great. Somebody knows a lot about Iron Man because I'm coming at this very, very limited knowledge. Uh, the very last thing I want to mention is I love this panel. This little bit of details after Iron Man frees the hostages, and there's the the uh, the little blurb. It says exactly 30 seconds later. Where am I? And then Happy Hogan says, Who are you? Are you Iron Man? You don't look like <laughs> Iron Man. And then he says, Appearances can be deceiving, old friend. And then and then uh, Pepper goes, He sounds like Iron Man. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just like that idea of like you don't you don't look like Iron Man. Like, like I mean, I know there's a million superheroes in this universe, but who else is a guy? I mean, he's got the repulsor ray thing on his hands. He's got the symbol on his. Yeah. I mean, come on, Happy, figure it out. It's Iron Man. Come he is on. a unibeam. Like 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 guys are just walking around with unibeams. Like yeah, I mean, <laughs> Happy Hogan. It is a great Happy Hogan moment because Happy Hogan is totally the guy who, when Clark Kent takes off his glasses, Happy would go. My God, you're Superman! Like he would. I mean, he, he's the one on whom it would work. And then, and actually, Clark could put the glasses back on, and he'd be like, "Oh, woo, you're Clark Kent!" Like he, you know, Happy's just that 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 guy. But it is nice because it really does. Like I said, it returns that whole supporting cast that that you know people had been missing for a few years, and they're just very suddenly all back in place. Oh, excellent, excellent! Like you said, I I stuck with Iron Man another couple of months after this. I must have enjoyed these issues enough to keep going, and then like I said, eventually I faded. I probably faded around the same time Danny O'Neill left, and I never really went back to it. Like I said, I still enjoy Iron Man. I love him. I think they've done amazing work with him as a movie star. It's just unbelievable what what the MCU has turned this character into. So, uh, so I think that's going to do it for Iron Man number two hundred. Uh, this is really cool, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on and and talking Iron Man with me. This is again, this is like one of my limited. Uh, bits of knowledge of, uh, of the MCU. So this was fantastic. No, oh, thanks for having me, man. I'm actually embarrassed about how much I know about this around of Iron Man in retrospect. Again, not joking, totally forgot my anniversary this year. And I'm realizing that my brain might be a bad place. <laughs> Here, honey, for our anniversary, I got you a trade collection of the Obadiah Stane stories. <laughs> oh my God, honey, you're in for such a treat. The underrated Denny O'Neill Iron Man run. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, I gotta tell you, it's all this guy to get the Mandarin. Okay, all right, all right, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, well, okay, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so I am the co-host of Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond, which is on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, and we cover every issue of Marvel Secret Wars. We have covered Volume 1, which is much beloved. We're, we're so very close to being done with Volume 2, which is much maligned. And then we'll get to Volume 3, which was the Hickman Ribbick run. And then I am the co-host of the Nerdy Dads podcast on the Nerdy Dads podcast network, where an old friend of mine and I talk about the pop culture that we loved as kids and how we can – you know inflict it on our unsuspecting children to make them future geeks. <laughs> You're doing doing the Lord's work. There. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, of course, if, uh, here for this show, if you want to listen to back episodes, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and there you can leave comments on this or previous episodes of Mountain Comics. And, of course, uh, Mountain Comics also has its own Twitter feed because, of course, it does. <laughs> uh, you can go to at Twitter. It's at FWP Mountain Comics. So, Sean, thank you once again for, for coming on. I always enjoy podcasting with you, and um, I'm – I love doing the Mountain Comic Show, so uh, I, this was fun to talk about a book that like I don't know backwards and forwards the way I do some of the others. This was this is, hey, this Iron Man two, Iron Man number two hundred. That's a Mountain Comic just as important as any of the other ones. So I'm I'm glad I got we had a chance to do a show on it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love this show. It, it's just it, I think all of us have some sort of you know Mountain Comic or Beach Comics. For me, it's stuck at Aunt Marcia's house comics, and uh, <laughs> and and so I love the show. It it hits me where I live. 
Oh, excellent. Well, thank you, Sean. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until uh, the next episode, Sean and I are going to kick back and watch the, uh, the, the sunset and have some, uh, have some beer maybe or probably you know, lemonade might be more appropriate considering. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, we shouldn't be drinking when we're talking about Iron Man comics. So uh, everybody take it easy, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.